Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a former left-handed relief pitcher in Major League Baseball. He had a 10-year career. He played with the San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants, Florida Marlins, Arizona Diamondbacks, Philadelphia Phils, and Montreal Expos in the National League, as well as the Oakland A's and Texas Rangers in the American League. He is one of only three players, Jason Baratek and Michael Conforto are the others, to play in the Little League World Series. And he's the only pitcher to, to play in the, excuse me, to, he's the only player, pitcher, to play in all three Little League World Series, College right. World Series, and Major League Baseball World Series. Only pitcher to do so is in 1973, he played for the, uh, two, the, um, Tucson, Arizona Cactus in the 1973 Little League World Series. He pitched a one-hitter in the semifinals against Birmingham, Michigan. He played for the 1980 NCAA champion, University of Arizona. He played for the Florida Marlins in the 1997 Major League Baseball World Series. It is a pleasure to welcome the 1980 NCAA champion, 1997 World Series champion, Ed Vosberg to WLA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So let's start with the summer of 1973 and, and the Cactus, which was the team you played on. It was managed by Ralph Linick. How many years had you played for Coach Lennick heading into that summer? Well, he, you know, it's interesting. Coach Lennick always had the best team, so he was always the all-star coach. So that was actually the only opportunity I got to play for him. Um, he, his team was uh, uh, Ostrich Electric. And, and my little league team was Plant World Nursery. So I was fortunate enough to make the team as an 11-year-old. And then, obviously, Ralph was Ralph Lanick was the coach because he his team always, you know, seemed to win the championship. So he got to manage the all-star teams. You know, it's interesting because AJ and I have gone through it, you know, and, and we know how difficult it is just to get out of district. You get out of your district, which is District 5, and you play a huge part of that is during the opening double elimination part of that tournament. Um, you give up a fifth-inning single to Paolo Verdi's Tad Philman, the only hit you'd give up. You strike out 15. You also set the tone early with a first-inning home run. When a tournament's in that early stages, and you're still a young kid, and you're playing at Pantino Park, which is, is local, was anyone on that team thinking that, you know, we have a chance at making this impossible run to Williamsport? Well, guys, what's really interesting about the story is my brother played on the All-Star team the year before, and they lost in the state finals. Um, and my brother came up with the bases loaded to win the game in the, in the last inning and hit a line drive, and the guy made a diving catch in the outfield to win the game. So the same team, our, our team had about, I don't know how many kids were on that team that came back, but we knew that, you know, and I was at the game, so I knew that, uh, you know, we had a chance. We had some, some great pitching uh, Mike Fimbers was the other pitcher that we had was who was, had a great curveball and, and great control. We were both real similar in the way that we pitched. We're both left-handers, and we're both, you know, I, I was taught the curveball right before, you know, the, the, the All-Star started. I'd really never thrown a, a curveball, and, and it seemed like I was able to pick it up, and, you know, and it was able to be a really good pitch for, for myself and Mike. And, you know, you got to be a little bit lucky to, to win and, and to go as far as we did. But, you know, it was just one of those summers where, you know, things just seemed to go right for us. You know, in, in taking a look at the roster on that team, I saw that you actually had the son of a Major League Baseball player. 
that Mike Carrion's father, Camilo, played was a catcher in the major leagues. Were you aware of that at the time? Was he present? Was he able to make the games? Was he off playing? You know, it was great because we grew up, you know, I grew up two, two blocks away from Mike and Mark Carrion. And, and actually, the next year was my 12-year-old year, and Mark, Mike's brother, played. And we almost made it back to Williamsport. We lost in the semifinals in California. And then Mark went on to play, had a really good career in the big leagues with the Mets and the Giants and a few other teams. But, yes, their father um, used to come out. And he actually, I give him a lot of credit. He is one of the, the gentlemen that really taught me how to throw the ball properly as far as just playing catch. I remember he used to come to our practices, and, and he was just always very encouraging. And, you know, we all knew he was a big leaguer, so we were in awe of just having him out there. But, you know, it was awesome because it was, it was really a really close-knit uh, group of kids, and, and our, a lot of fathers were involved, and it seems like baseball today is, is so different. It's interesting you say that. You know, things happen fairly quickly. As a week later, you're on the mound again pitching for the Arizona State Championship against uh, Fort Hachuca. It's nothing-nothing through five. Mike Martinez doubles home two in the top of the six. You throw a no-hitter in the game. You strike out 16. And again, you mentioned you're 11 years old at the time. How intense is the pressure at that point for an 11-year-old? Granted, things were different then, but I have to imagine when you're at that level and you're competing for you know, bigger stakes, it's not your typical Little League game. How did you deal with that pressure? You know, it's crazy that you say that because, you know, I didn't really, you know, when you're out there, it seems like, you know, you, you hear about athletes saying that they're in a zone, and it seemed like whenever I got on the field, and when I was pitching, it seemed like, because my mom used to tell me this all the time, she used to say, you know, I could, she could never tell if I was doing really good or really bad. I had like a poker face out there. I, I always tried to really focus in on the catcher and, and the batter and try to block all those other things out. And, and I was just, I was given the ability to be able to do that. And, and, you know, when you're 11 years old, you're not really thinking about pressure. It's just really... I was just out there trying to have fun and just, you know, just play catch and, and, you know, just like we were at the park. You know, one of the big differences between 1973 and 45 years later is the ESPN factor. And (laughs) I I actually think it's child abuse to have ESPN cover the games the way they do. How different do you think it would have been in 1973 if you were playing to see what happens today when they treat these like a major league game, they have between innings interviews, and actually they put additional pressure, I think, on the kids because of all of that? You know, you know, I'm glad that you said that because I happened, you know, I never really, we never even saw that game, the replay of that game that we played in until I was playing with the Phillies back in like 2000 and a reporter came up to me and said, hey, we got a copy of the game, of your championship game. And they gave us a copy of the game, gave me a copy, and I was able to get it to the other kids on, on the team that I played with. So I had never even actually seen the game. And I know that the, it's amazing the coverage that is going on now with social media and everything. And, and I think it's great. I think sometimes I, I think it's sad that they make these kids, they, they put so much pressure on these kids, like the girl a few years ago, the Monet girl. I mean, I kind of felt bad for her because she was under such scrutiny. She was getting all this publicity. And I think a lot of times kids just can't handle that. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, a lot of times – you know, they're, if they're, they fail, they're on the national stage like this. And, and you know what? It really could affect these kids negatively. It's also interesting the way things have changed so much that I can't imagine that that Staten Island team, when they, they you know, obviously Williamsport's not that far, but yeah. places they've traveled, 
you your team had some financial issues along the way. You guys took a bus from Arizona to San Bernardino for the regionals, but when you got to San Bernardino, you guys didn't have enough money for meal money. You know, and you guys had to kind of like take up a collection. What was that like? You know, we we were just you know I don't even remember things like that. I I just rem- I remember so much about games and stuff. I remember playing with the Taiwan kids when we were in Williamsport and and just thinking like. They were just like any other kid. We, I thought it was a little weird that, you know, these kids were shaving at 11, 12 years old. And, 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 and myself, you know, I was, so, was kind of young for an 11-year-old. But, you know, I remember a lot of things. I don't remember what you, what you said about meal money and stuff. I, I do remember getting to San Bernardino and, you know, remembering that the air was dirty and, and just kind of coughing because we were used, used to this great air that we have in you know, Tucson, Arizona, and the smog in San Bernardino did affect us a little bit, but, you know, it, it was fun. We, we just happened to get on a roll. We played really great as a team. We had a great defensive team that, that got us, won us those 12 games. And then we just had timely hitting and timely pitching, and it just, like, was a storybook summer for us. You know, when you go through something like that with a group of individuals at such a young age, there's a bond form there. And you mentioned that you got a tape and you were able to get it to those guys. How many, especially this time of year, how many of those guys, when the Little League World Series rolls around, do you call up and say, hey, or, or how many of them do you get together with, you know, all these years later? You know, I'm really glad that you brought that point up because there was a kid on our team, his name was Billy Brower. And we thought everybody, we had a reunion, our 40-year reunion for our team, and that was, you know, a few years ago. And we got together, and a lot of guys came back, and we didn't know what happened to Billy. And just a matter of a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Carrion found him on Facebook, and I, and I ended up having, I got in touch with him, and we talked, and he told me he's been in the military for 32 years. And, and it was just great because we all thought he had passed away. I think uh, two of our other kids that played on the team have passed away. But a lot of us do, you know, reminisce uh, from time to time right around this time of year. And, you know, it's just great. It, it just seems like I can't believe it's been all these years, but it really, it kind of seems like it was yesterday because it just seems, I can just picture, I remember so many things about that summer. And, uh, you know, when I, when I see, you know, the games on TV in Williamsport, it just, it just brings back so many members like it was just last week. Two, two, two things I want to ask about. Did, did you realize when you were playing the games, really, what, what a, a buzzsaw you were going into playing Taiwan? <laughs> that, that was the, the Taiwan streak of, of what they would like, you know, nine out of, the, out of 12 or something, something like that. And, of course, there was a whole scandal after it, but they weren't going you know, bring players from the, the entire island, the right. country, over together. But were you we aware of, of you know, what, you, what you were up against in playing Taiwan? Well, I'm going to tell you this story. I don't know if you guys ever heard about this, but our coach, Ralph, scouted them and saw just how dominant they were. They won 18 to nothing against Germany the first game and no hitter. And then he saw them play Tampa, Florida, a group of kids, and beat them 27 to nothing. Perfect game, pitcher. And then, so what Ralph did was he knew that these kids threw so hard. And Ralph had some, he was a professional ball player back in the day, and he was really, really good athlete himself. And he threw, what he did to prepare us for that championship game is, he moved closer during batting practice, and he was throwing as hard as he could to prepare us for the Taiwan pitcher. And he had all of us use a smaller bat than we normally did just to try to prepare to hit this kid. And it didn't matter. I mean, I mean, you guys, I don't know if you've seen the video of the kid. We were so overmatched. And I remember fouling one pitch off and thinking, wow, I fouled the pitch off. But that kid was, I mean, 
we basically had a chance with all the other teams we played. Obviously, we won 12, and we faced some kids with really good arms, but we, they didn't have anything over this kid from Taiwan. He was just incredible. But, you know, I, don't, I don't know how old he was, but we had no chance that day. So what was it like going to the White House? You know, again, I always tell my son, uh, my son is 14, and, you know, when we see a picture of the White House, I'll, I'll tell him, I'll say, hey, I was lucky enough to be able to, to go visit that White House, and, and I was lucky enough to um, stand next to Julie Nixon Eisenhower. And, again, it just seems like so many things I can remember about it. It was just awesome. I remember we went to a Baltimore Orioles-Kansas um, City Royal game, and Jim Palmer was pitching, and I remember you know, Paul Blair hit a ball in the outfield, and two guys dove for it, and he got an inside-the-park home run. I mean, just little things like that. I mean, that summer of 1973, it's just like, I can't remember what I had for lunch today, but <laughs> I, can remember, I can remember so many things about, you know, walking through the White House and going to the Smithsonian Institution and, you know, going to the Baltimore game. It's just a really cool summer with so many awesome memories. How much confidence did the way you competed in those games give you going into high school, being a high school pitcher? Well, you know, having Ralph Atlantic as our manager, and, and Ralph was a really tough guy. He's still alive, and we still talk from time to time. He was really tough on his kids, but what he did, which I really thought was great, was he really complimented, and, and, and he would get on his kids for making mistakes, but he would, he would praise them. He would, he would cover both ends of the spectrum, and, and he told me one day that summer, he said, Eddie, he goes, I don't know if you realize this, but you have a chance to go really far in this game if you want to. He goes, it's just going to be up to you. And I really, I remembered that. And I just told myself, I, I want to be a big league baseball player someday. And, and I just, that was always in the back of my mind. And, you know, I was fortunate enough. I grew and, and never had any arm issues. And, and I was fortunate enough to stay really healthy. And, and you know, it's just, it was a storybook life for me high school I, I had some success in high school I was fortunate enough to go to the university and and you know my 12 year old year uh, Mark Wing was on my team his dad was the pitching coach at the University of Arizona and I knew that I wanted to be a wildcat and and so when they recruited me to go to the University of Arizona I didn't want to go anywhere else I wanted to stay home you know and I was fortunate that we had a great team as a freshman we won the national championship and, and so you know I had I had a lot of Things, you know, go right for me in, in, you know, my baseball career and then um, got drafted by the Padres and, and got to the big leagues at 24. But, you know, the timing wasn't really good for me when I was in my 20s and I was fortunate enough. I, I persevered and I, and I stuck it out. And, you know, I had a, a, a great career in my 30s. And, and um, I, I've been really blessed in my career to stay healthy, had one surgery you know, when I was about 38, and I was still even able to come back from that. But, you know, the success in Little League, to make a, a long story short, really gave me a lot of confidence in knowing that I could pitch against any kid in the country and get him out. And, you know, then the success I had in high school, it just, I, I just, it gave me so much confidence that I, I really knew that I had a chance someday if, if things fell into place. We're speaking with Ed Vosberg, the only pitcher to appear in a Little League World Series, a College World Series, and the Major League Baseball World Series, as well as the Caribbean World Series. Uh, you mentioned going to the University of Arizona. Uh, that was after an amazing 9-2 and season with a, a .70 uh, ERA in high school. Uh, the Cardinals select you in the third round, but like you said, you chose to go to the University of Arizona. Uh, 
while you're at the University of Arizona, you get a, a chance at a little revenge as well as you beat two college teams from Taiwan who you're probably, you know, based on the age of those kids that were in Taiwan in the League World Series, might have been their kids. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, what was that like for you? Was that a, did that feel like any measure of revenge? You know, it was kind of funny because when we did go to Taiwan, that was our reward for winning the, the NCAA championship. And, and, you know, we get over there and the food was brutal and, and it <laughs> rained a lot. But, you know, just going over to Taiwan and being there was really cool. Um, and it was, I think they had three kids on the team, supposedly from the, from the World Series team we played. And it seemed like they hadn't grown at all. They were all about the same <laughs> size. But they were all, you know, the Taiwan kids, I do give the Asian kids and the Japanese, Koreans. You know, I got a chance to play on a USA baseball team. And we went and played a team in, in Japan and Korea. And, you know, those teams are phenomenal, the way they practice, the fundamentals. And you see them all coming over and playing in the United States with Ichiro and and I got a chance to, when I went to the spring training with the Dodgers with Hideo Nomo and Chan Ho Park, I mean, there's just so many great ball players all, all over the world that just are playing. And that's why Major League Baseball now you see so many, so many great athletes from all these different countries. And, you know, it makes me sad in a way because it seems like the kids in the United States that baseball is, to me, is just kind of, it's, it's down. And, and I think club baseball has really been really hurt Little League Baseball, and I think a lot of kids are playing club baseball that really shouldn't be, and they don't get to practice as much as they should, and I don't know. It, I would really love to get involved with Little League Baseball and try to get the interest back up to where, where it was when I was a kid. It just seems like it's not the same. I, I tend to agree with you that, and there's a lot more pressure put on these these kids. And AJ and I went through it nine years worth of travel ball, and we we saw it on many of the different levels. Getting back to your Arizona team, some of your teammates on that team included third baseman, who is uh, currently the hitting coach of the New York Mets, the man they call Six Pat Six Pat Rossler, yeah. as well as the yeah. other third baseman Casey Candell, as well as Terry Francona. Could you tell back then that those guys would have the futures that they had in the game? You know, it's, I'm great. I'm happy you brought up the Terry Francona thing, and, and I'm happy for Pat Rosser. I always love Pat and, and Casey. Casey is one of the funniest people I've ever been around in my life besides my brother Joe. But, but Terry Francona, his story, I never in my wildest dreams would ever thought that Terry would be a coach because Terry always was kind of a clown. He was always joking around, had a great sense of humor, very dry sense of humor. He was always the jokester on the team. And, and if you would have told me back then that he would have managed Michael Jordan or managed the Red Sox um, or, or the, the Cleveland Indians and had success, I would have said probably no way. But, you know, the thing about Terry, he was always one of my favorite managers. I played for him in Philadelphia. And, you know, the thing that Terry, his gift is he, he's such a great communicator with people. And he, um, he just lets the guy, he gets out of their way and lets them play. A lot of managers, unfortunately, they have too many rules, and they, they just they, they, they don't let the guys do what they can do. And Terry has the ability just to, to talk to guys and get the most out of, uh, out of each individual, and that's why he's had so much success. It's also interesting because you helped lead Arizona to its second national title in baseball as a freshman in 1980. You earned second-team All-American All honors as a senior in 83, named first-team All-Pac-10 in both 81 and 83. You set Arizona career records for games started, 60, innings pitched, 405. In your four-year career, you earned more victories, 17, and threw more complete games, 15, in Pac-10 play than any other pitcher in Wildcat history. You led the Cats in wins, earned run average twice, strikeouts in three consecutive 
seasons. You were named the team's most valuable player in 1981 and 1983 and won the J.F. Pop McHale Award twice as a Cats top pitcher. What did you learn about yourself as a pitcher while at Arizona? Well, I had a great pitching coach in Jim Wing who, again, I played Little League with his son, Mark. And, and you know, it just gave me confidence, um, you know, just having success. And, and I really, at, at Arizona, I really, I really learned how to throw a changeup, which um, it helped me in my first five or six years in pro ball because, obviously, most hitters in professional baseball can hit a fastball. You know, and then I ended up going into the bullpen like after my sixth or seventh year in pro ball, and I really thought it was a demotion, and I was upset because I always thought I was a starting pitcher. And then I realized that, you know, the, the bullpen's not a demotion. It's a, it's a role where guys that, that can pitch, pitch a lot of days in a row, that can, you know, I was fortunate I could get righties and lefties out. You know, and then I had I came up with a pretty good slider. So I, it, it ended up being a good role for me to be a reliever. But and I, I had a lot of versatility, and I did play a lot of winter ball uh, between my years in professional baseball. And I would go down to Mexico and start, you know, because I wasn't making great money early in my professional career. And so I'd go down there just to kind of make a little extra money. But you know, I was blessed with an arm that was very resilient. I could come back and pitch a lot of days in a row. I remember one day when I was in Philly playing with Terry Francona, and I pitched um, three consecutive days, and he comes up to me and he goes, hey, uh, I only need you for one or two hitters today. And I thought he was kind of joking. I thought maybe I'd get a day off after three days. And then he got me out there for four days in a row, and it just made me realize, you know, I had one of those arms that could do that. And, and I would never really had a sore arm very often, but, you know, I was blessed. I was blessed to play 21 years and, and a lot of a lot of uh, grinding in the minor leagues, but I'm I'm very fortunate that I was able to uh, you know to to play in the big leagues and to reach reach a dream that I always hoped I could do as a kid. You know, it's interesting because your career. You know, we always talk about the guys that you know go up the ladder, then have you know consistent major league you know career from start to finish, never going back to the minors. But that really, you know, we kind of look at that as the norm, but that's not really the norm. You know, your career is quite a journey. It spanned nearly two decades. You mentioned, we mentioned in the open, a 10-year career. You played your first professional game in 1983, your last in 2007. 1983, you were a third-round pick of the Padres. You move up their ladder, uh, single-A Reno, double-A Beaumont in uh, 84, triple-A Vegas. Two of your managers that you played under in the minor league system were Bobby Tolan and Larry Boa. How different was it to play for them than when you played in college under Jerry Kendall? You know, it's a great question. And, you know, Jerry Kendall, he passed away recently. And he was one of my favorite favorite people in the world. And, and it really made me sad because the guy had was just a great, great person, great coach. Just a tremendous, tremendous Christian man, and I learned a lot from him. I learned about, you know, to to be a man and, and to do the right thing. And and he just was such a great teacher. And then I played in pro ball with a lot of different personalities. You said Bobby Tolan. I enjoyed playing with Bobby and Larry. Was Larry was difficult. He <laughs> Larry, Larry was difficult to play says. for, to say the yeah. least. And and you know, I think Larry's probably a better coach than he was a manager. He was really hard on his players, and I think. You know he's a hard-nosed guy, and a guy, and he's a great. He was a great player, but I think he lacked a little bit as as a manager. Obviously, he didn't have a lot of great success, but he's been a coach for a long time. But 
you know, Tony LaRusso was a great coach. I played for Johnny Oates. Um, I also played for Frank Robinson. I enjoyed playing for him in Montreal. And I played for some great guys, and, and I had a lot of great teammates, Tony Gwynn, Gary Carter, and Pudge Rodriguez, and, and Will Clark along the way. I made some really good friends, and, and you know, I, it, baseball was just a great, great experience. And, um, you know, it just taught me a lot of things just to be able to believe in my myself that you really can do anything you put your mind to if you don't give up and so you know it's a great learning experience for life your, your career is definitely one of perseverance for sure you made your major league debut september 17th 1986 and if that date rings a bell to met fans listening to the audience yes that was the day they actually clinched the nl east uh but you were out on, in the mound against the san francisco giants what do you remember most about your first major league game you know, I remember Goat falling behind 3-1 and one on Dan Gladden. I said, God, I can't walk my first batter in the big leagues. And so he ended up popping it up to right field, I think. And I went, I threw four really good innings, I remember. I think maybe one hit. And then in the fifth inning, Kevin McReynolds dropped a fly ball. I mean, that he, that he normally would catch. And it ended up giving, I cost, cost me three runs. But, you know, I kind of let the air bother me a little bit. I, I was my first start. But I pitched five pretty good innings, and I came out losing, and we ended up winning the game. I think Benito Santiago, I think, hit a home run to win the game. But I thought, you know, it was a pretty good game. Five innings, I gave up, I think, three runs. And, and I was satisfied. I struck out Will Clark a couple times. And, and I thought, you know what, I belong here. I can pitch in the big leagues. And, unfortunately, I started two more games after that. I pitched in Atlanta and pitched okay. And then I pitched crappy in, in Cincinnati. And then, you know, I got sent back. Or Then the season ended. And then I really didn't get much of a chance the next few years. I got called up the next year for one week and didn't pitch. So I, I, it was really tough. I thought, man, it's tough to make it in the big leagues. And then I got my chance in 1990 and pitched good for the Giants for a couple months. And then I got set back down and, and really didn't get another chance until 90, 94 with the Oakland A's. So it was a hard journey for me. But I always knew in the back of my mind if I would get a chance, a real chance that I could really do it. And fortunately, I did it in 94, and then we had the strike. And then from 94 on, I think I had, you know, decent success in the big leagues. So before that, you were so committed to baseball and things were going around. You ended up playing in Italy at one point. What, what led to that? And, and you played in Mexico. You know, what went through your mind to say, I think I want to make it back to the major. I think I can. But to do what I have to play in Italy, I have to play in Mexico. Well, I mean, that's a great question, and what happened, I got released twice in, in the year before in, in, in 91, and, and unfortunately had a bad year, 91 was my worst year. You know, and it was July, and, and I was already at home, and I had already got released by the Angels and the Mariners, and, and uh, Brent Strom called me, you know, and Brent Strom said, hey, do you want to keep playing? I got a job for you in Italy if you want it, and I said, sure, I, I want to keep playing. I know I can do it, so... What happened was I couldn't go that summer because if you play in the States, um, you can't go to Italy in the same year. So I really couldn't find a job the next year. And so he, he got me the opportunity to go play in Novara, Italy. And so I really thought I was done. I get to Italy and, and we're playing two games a week. And, you know, I'm in a country that I don't – people, a lot of people didn't speak English. And I was like, what am I doing here? But – it really, it really got me back on the map. I ended up pitching really well. I started. I, I pitched a lot of innings. I got a chance to swing the bat a little bit. Um, 
And I met my agent down there. His name was Oscar Suarez. And he came up to me after a game one day, like towards the end of the, the season, and I threw a, a two-hit shot out, struck out 13, and only threw like 92 pitches. And he goes, what are you doing here? He, and I said, he goes, you don't belong here. And I said, I know that. But I really couldn't get a job in the States. He goes, call me. He goes, I'll get you a job in the States. And, you know, to make a long story short, he got me to this tryout camp the following spring with the Cubs. And there's 100 kids, 60 pitchers. And, and I walk in there, and I'm throwing, like, upper 80s. And and, the, and Sid Thrift was the assistant general manager. And, and he goes, yeah, we like you. You don't throw really very hard. But he goes, how about if you throw batting practice for us for our big league team? And so... I did that for five days, and then finally after the fifth day, I said, listen, Sid, thank you for the opportunity. I'm not a batting practice pitcher. I, I know I could still pitch. Uh, I think if, if I'm not going to get an opportunity, I'm thankful, but I'm just going to go home. And then he sat there and, and thought for a second, and, and then he said, well, why don't you just show up at minor league camp tomorrow and try to make the AAA team? And so I did. I went to spring training with the Cubs, made the team, and and pitched really good in 93. And then and then what got me back on the map was I, Oscar got me a job in Mexico. I pitched really good in Mexico. And, and then the, the Marlins and the A's wanted to sign me, and, and that's when I signed with Oakland. That's when I got back to the big leagues was 1994. So it's so interesting because, you know, obviously that time made a difference. Because once you returned to the majors, you'd stay each year but one through 2002. That was the year you were injured. I have to imagine that 96 and 97 made all those stops along the way worth it. As with the Rangers in 96, you helped Texas to the playoffs. And in 1997, after moving to the Marlins mid-year, you helped Florida onto its World Series. Did those two seasons, was that the ultimate payoff for all the sacrifices and all the time on the road, all the time, you know, moving from organization to organization? It really did. And a friend of mine called me, like, before the World Series in 97, he, and he goes, man, he goes, dude, he goes, if you play in the World Series, he goes, you're going you're gonna to probably be the first guy that's ever played in the Little League College. In the and he, he brought that to my attention. You know, before we got to the World Series, he was a kid I went to high school with in grade school. His name was Greg Cedar. And I said, wow, that would be cool. And then all of a sudden, we, we make, you know, we get in there and we, and we win the first round against the Giants. And then we beat the Braves. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden, we're playing the Cleveland Indians. And then, and then I'm thinking, we lose. Uh, I think we win the first game. We lose the second game. And I don't even, I don't get the chance to pitch until I'm thinking, God, am I ever going to get a chance to pitch? And so then I finally got to pitch in Cleveland. And it was 32 degrees. It was snowing, and I'm like, "Geez, this is what I." But you know, it was fun. It was a great experience. I, I, I it was a dream. I mean, we ended up, you know, winning in seven games, and I, I was warming up in the bullpen in the 11th inning, and I was, I almost got in the game. Uh, you know, I was just praying that Edgar Renneria got that hit, which he did to win the game. Yeah, all, all those things kept going through my mind. I, I kept thinking, just you know, saying, "God, thank you for finally getting me here." And keeping me here and, and just I just I was just so thankful that you know all, all those dreams seemed to come true. Unbelievable! You played your final major league game in 2002, your final minor league game in 2003. In 2007, though, you try to come back at the age of 45 playing in Mexico. What made you want to do that at age 45? Well, you know, the Diamondbacks had hired me as a coach. I started as with the Oakland A's. Billy Bean. I saw him one day, and we were. You know, we had known each other, and he offered me a, a job in the minor leagues, and I took it, and I was coaching rookie league. And then 
you know, I, I, I really thought I was appreciative for the opportunity, but then I talked to the, he, somebody said, how about if you, what, what do you think about the Diamondbacks? Because the Diamondbacks still were in Tucson, and so I was, I was able to get a job with the Diamondbacks after that year in 2000, um, I think 2004. In 2005, I was coaching Rookie League. And then, then they offered me the position of, to be the rehab coordinator, which I was working with kids who had surgery, ha- helping them to come back from surgery. And so I was playing catch a lot. And I, my <laughs> arm felt so good. And I really I didn't retire at, in, in 2002 because I couldn't do it. I really I quit because I was so tired of the grind. I was tired of the being away from home, being away from my kids. Physically, I felt great. I was just, you know, when I got finally got sent down in 2002 with the Expos, I was just, I was done. And I just said, I, I'm, I'm done mentally, not physically. And so then in 2007, you know, I was just talking to Oscar one day, and I said, Oscar, I think I could still pitch. I want to go back and try to do it. He got me a chance to pitch in Tijuana, Mexico, and I was doing really well. I was starting and I was like fourth in the league and earned run average. And then I reached for a ball with my bare hand and it ended up breaking my finger. And then I had to sit out for about six weeks. And then I didn't pitch as well after that. I got released by that team and had to come back with another team. But I thought, heck, I feel great physically at 45 with my arm. But, you know, 45 years, you're not really supposed to be pitching my body. Really, my sciatic really kind of to this day still bothers me a little bit from that year. But, you know, it was worth it. It was a lot of fun. At 45, if you had dual citizenship, you probably could have played on the Taiwan Little League team. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ed, thanks so much for sharing your memories of those three amazing World Series, the only pitcher to experience all three. We really appreciate it, you know, bringing back some great memories uh, of that time in your life. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, guys. You got it. Ed Vosberg, the only pitcher to appear in the Little League, College, Major League, as well as the Caribbean World Series.